Yeah, no, how about tell the customer about the new stuff that you're doing because you're excited about it and go, look, if, if this ticks the box for you, let's have a chat. Welcome to the MSS Network, your number one source of information for MSSPs, MSPs, and security architects. Uncovering the MSSP of the future. Today, we're very pleased to welcome co-founders of Damn Good Security, Dave McKenzie and Scott McGreedy. Lovely to have you on the MSS Network podcast. How are you both doing? Not bad. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing your story, you know, sharing your experience. This is a new venture and what a great opportunity then to get in at the ground level, you know, for me to find out why you're starting it, what you're doing, how it's going, lessons you would have liked to have learned. But let's start with three quick fire questions, rather simple. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Dave? Cybersecurity for small companies. Um, so at the moment, uh, when you're doing an M a traditional MSSP, you end up working at scale. And as you get bigger as an MSSP, your customers get bigger as well. Uh, and I, I, I came across in my travels uh, semi-recently a bunch of people that, that found that they couldn't find good cybersecurity advice for their company from a company that they could trust. Now, they could go to the NCSE, but you get someone like generic and it's good stuff. But when they have questions and they didn't know the difference between when our people are working at home, should they use a VPN? Uh, and I'm like, well, okay, let's unpick it a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what you do, what your stack looks like. And, and then you're like, no, you do not need a VPN. You're using Office 365. You, you don't need a VPN. Your people can work from home absolutely fine. I said, but since you're using Office 365, what's your stance on MFA? And they went, well, we've got, some people have got it. And you're like, stop. Stop worrying about all that VPN stuff. What you need to do is go and drop everything and go and fix the MFA because that is the thing that's a risk for your business. But they couldn't get anyone to give that advice that they trusted. They ended up coming to me through family connections. They just kind of went, oh, right, hang a second. He's in cyber. We can ask this question. And when I said, well, what, what, like, what's the problem here? And they went, well, when we went to a recommended cybersecurity MSSP, uh, that their industry vertical governance recommended, that company took one look at them and said, you're too small. Uh, you're not worth our time to uh, have a conversation with. And that kind of took me back to my own MSSP days and the, 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 the whole sales strategies and how you know, you're looking to run a service, but you're looking for the upsells and you can see different companies doing it in different ways. And sometimes it's pretty tasteless and sometimes mildly offensive. But it was that, right, okay, people chasing a number, a salesperson chasing a target, rather than looking at the problem, which is this person needs good cybersecurity advice. So the challenge that we've taken up is, can you build a company and run one and actually be successful while maintaining that very small grassroots, always giving that, that level of advice? Now, we've already come to the conclusion that we cannot only talk to small businesses. Uh, it'll have to be large businesses will happily go and do work for and will happily like do support or do their monitoring or whatever they need. But 
those rates allow us to discount the rates for the small businesses um, and to look to then try and partner with other bits of government and things like that sit and say, look, how can we fix this where your comp the companies are that small, they barely even qualify to worry about cyber essentials, for example. They're not they're on the path to needing cyber essentials. But those people, those are the ones where if they get if they get a fraudulent transaction, if they get business email compromise that moves even £20,000 out of their business account, the business could fold overnight. It's that level of thing. That's going to be really difficult to scale. Uh, and I've no idea how we're going to manage it, but we're going to give it a damn good shot because it seems like a really worthwhile thing to do. Damn good shot. That's good. I like that. Um, and, 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 and what about for you, Scott? And maybe I can blend this into, you know, where, where, where does your passion for this come from um i i i know both yourself and dave with you know previous uh jobs careers iterations but uh but but where, where does your passion for this come from i've oddly never been comfortable working for companies um i worked for myself for i went to corporate and then left corporate and decided to set up my own business maybe about 14 years ago now um, it took a lot for me to go back into the world of real work and real jobs. The reason why I find it really, really difficult is because I have, like many cyber people in the community, I have fingers in many pies. I like to volunteer my time with a, a research organization. I like to do bucket hunting or uh, responsible disclosure at the weekend where I find a problem and I'll notify a company. Working with a company or working for a company is really, really difficult because for obvious reasons, that company needs to protect itself, its IP, its reputation. Um, you know, I also do media, uh, a lot of television and radio interviews. Again, the company needs to probably protect its reputation if you go on live television and, and say something that is factually incorrect, could drag the company's reputation through the mud. But similarly, if you go on television and completely flub an interview, um, I'm thinking worse than the, the the famous BBC guy that got interviewed that turned out to be there for a job interview because uh, that was actually quite funny and he answered it pretty well. But if you completely flub it, that could bring the company into disrepute. So it's really, really hard for me to find a job that I can do enjoy. It lets me do the extracurricular activities, which actually nine times out of 10 gives good positive feedback towards the company. Um, and still do the community piece, still support small businesses and really make a difference. That's where my mindset is, is I want to get out of bed and know that the thing that I worked on has saved a customer, an individual, uh, a person, a business, basically their entire business, or it saved them time or it saved them money, or maybe it's kept them that little bit more secure rather than I, in the nicest possible way, feeling like a small cog in a huge machine and you never see the outcome you never see the benefit of your actions even though there is probably a positive outcome uh, that's where my mindset is is i just want to do good stuff that's simply all it is and i see this as an opportunity for us to be able to do that without the unnecessary guardrails of well if you write a piece of software out out of working hours we own that until we tell you don't I find those clauses quite restrictive and it makes me resent the company or the individuals I'm working for rather than going, hey, you do stuff outside of working hours. As long as it's not our specific product that you're working on and releasing free plugins or free widgets or whatever it may be for our stuff, go for it. 
Um, I like being able to be sort of a lone wolf and go and do stuff wherever I see, oh, problem over there, let me go fix it without that restriction. No, and I can fully appreciate the desire to do something on your own and the, the, the you know, it can be better, that, 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 that kind of uh, attitude. But, but uh, with a third quickfire question, I suppose, um, we like to say, what should the uninitiated better understand? But what if I modified that to say in your, uh, you know, first few months of, you know, starting the new uh, firm, what, what should others thinking about starting a new firm better understand? What, what have you learned in the, in, in, in the first few months that maybe you want to share? Uh, don't, don't say don't do it. Uh, just, you know, some, some kind of what I wish I would have known. Uh, I don't know, either you, you Dave, or you, or you Scott. What, what, what do you think? Our community. Uh, so do good things and good things will, co will come back round to you. So um, I have a big thing about trust. Uh, as my therapist has said, I have trust issues. Uh, I, but I actually have professional trust issues as well. So if I see a company behaving badly, etc. And if I see individuals behaving particularly badly, I'd never hire them. And I've been in a position where I've hired more than a few uh, professionals. Uh, in the last few years. And I've, I've hired a lot of people that I've met through seeing them do good works in the community. And I've seen, uh, and I've met a lot of people and there's a bunch of people where I sit and go, I won't hire them. And I've taken some people aside and said, what you're doing is that like damaging your own future because there's a bunch of people here that can hire and you're behaving in a bad way. Uh, you you want to sort that out and figure that out because that that can damage your your own future. So for me, I, I I like the fact that I've spent years doing that sort of thing, and then the instant that that Scott and I announced DGS, we literally had people reaching out saying, "I've seen you talk, and I know somebody that knows you, and it's amazing. Can you come and help us?" We were looking for someone we could trust. And I feel I know you because I know people that know you and I've seen you talk and I've seen your passion. And so it's about that trust and that passion and be able to sit there and say, you know what? If you don't believe in what you're doing, stop. You need to believe, you need to wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing. Uh, and then you just need to go for it. But yeah, uh, the way the way you act, the way you treat your customers, your staff, your other people, other people that you meet those things all really matter and they all really matter to me. And so, and I, I like the fact that the first few customers that have walked in the door, we, we've not done advertising. We posted on LinkedIn that we're doing a thing and we've had people that knew us all reach out and say, I can send you bits and pieces of work. And we've had customers come straight from there saying, this is fantastic, really like the idea, really want to work with you. And you're like, that's great. That is all those seeds of being a good community person coming back and, and showing fruit. So yeah, like, you know, you treat others well and it will pay off in, in the long run. And that that for me is the, yeah, we're not, yes, I need to pay my mortgage and I need to put like, you know, shoes on my children's feet and food in their mouths, et cetera. Like we're not doing this for for charity, we're running a business. But immediately, people have sat there and went, "Yeah, that's absolutely fine." We've had 
large, our first potential large customer come along and say, we love the fact that you, we are helping discount small businesses because it makes us feel good about, we're not charging them masses and masses more than, than in fact, we stand, we charge them standard rates that we know that, you know, companies uh, pay out. It's just that we then sit there and say, yeah, we're small businesses you're getting a 70% discount because we can afford it because we, we we can keep the lights on with these other bits of business. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's beautiful because the trust that you show in the community is, you know, shows the testament to speaking at events and things. Um, and, uh, you know, people people get to know you and then it's fantastic. They're, they're, they're helping you out. So I guess if someone was preparing to start their own firm, get your name out there, show that you're trustworthy, get get your reputation together. Um, Cybersecurity and well, security in general is all about trust. Let's as an as as an organization, we are going to see all the warts. We're going we we are going to know exactly how much money is in your bank account, exactly how you access that bank account, and if there's a flaw that meant that a bad thing could happen, we know about it. Of course, you've got to trust us. I mean, because otherwise, you know, this is doomed to failure. You have to trust your suppliers, which is reassuring because I mean, if you remember, especially uh, over the last four years. Um, People popped up on social media and said, hey, I know everything there is to know about everything. And you're like, well, do you? Do you really? Even I as a layperson can can sit back. So it's good to see that trust is um, very much uh, in, in, in motion. But let's take a step back. Let's think of the MSSP landscape because over, over the years, it's kind of become a spectrum, hasn't it? Between 24 by 7, sock, knock, rock, whatever, and break, fix, um, uh, where, where, where do you see the most traction in, in the market in terms of services uh, between, between, you know, absolute handholding and uh, a little bit more break fix? Uh, personally, uh, this, the, this, the service side, I mean, uh, yeah, the explosion in, in MSSP world, uh, a lot of it's come around cloud computing because all of a sudden you've gone from if you wanted to build a sock in the past, it was a nine month to a year of procuring tin and licenses and large IT projects, etc. Now I can spin up inside five minutes a seam and and connect a customer up, and I've done it in in the past. I've I was literally asked by a customer to do it again because they didn't see me do it; they weren't paying attention onto the big screen as I did it. Uh, I went hang on a second, fine, uninstalled, and there you go, we've connected it, and that is you know. That's the tech bit done. Now we need to go and work on the processes to get you up and running. And so that massive equalizer, it's, a, it's an interesting one because you suddenly, people that couldn't afford a large security bill uh, for this massive project and a whole bunch of tin and stuff like that, a lot of that's disappeared. So the time bound's gone. It's far cheaper to, to spin these things up. The But the service part of it, uh, every, every MSSP out there essentially uh, can provide you the tech it's off the shelf. Few of them will create their own tech, but for a large, for a large portion of the the MSSPs, we're all sitting using Microsoft Sentinel, or you can use Google Chronicle. But mo like you can spin these things up, and a, a man in a van can suddenly become a twenty four seven MSSP if you look at their website. In fact, if you look at a lot of the websites, and it's part of the problem of why we started this was the if you now Google saying I need an MSSP to help me with my cybersecurity problems, there's hundreds, you get hundreds of responses, even just for the UK. And you have absolutely no idea whether this is one person sitting in their bedroom 
or whether they're a well-renowned company in the space. So you get an awful lot of people going to the big name providers because they recognize them uh, from the news or they realize that they're big IT companies. And if they're doing that, then there's a there's an assurance there. But the rest of the landscape, there's not a lot of things to differentiate. And the only thing you can differentiate is in that trust and that service. And that's that's where you you end up having to specialize. So you can do any amount of break fix and a lot of the tech, I mean, it's not, I'm not disparaging any technical thing because we do an awful lot of weird and wonderful techie things and we're doing some crazy things with AI potentially in the very near future, but you, you end up sitting there going, right, okay, the technology is only one part of how you do cybersecurity. You need people, processes and technology. The technology bit, yes, and you put a process around that, but the people and the people processes, those are the ones that are are you need experience. You need to actually understand how the world works and how a business works, and you need to spend time with the business to figure out exactly what they need. And at that point, you go, right, okay. So the large scale, I can just keep bringing in loads of people, not really understand them, and just become a ticket machine of the, yeah, that's fine, move it out, that's out, move it out. Yeah, that that's how it worked in the past but as things go forward that's starting to fail I've seen it in, in plenty of places where nobody wants a service that's just a pager not then people want things to understand they want to be understanding the context of their business and that's far harder to scale and the big boys are not necessarily that good at it because they want to keep doing that yes i can have an analyst looking after 30 customers Instead, you're like, no, no, you maybe need an analyst that's only looking after five customers and they need to know those customers' names. And that doesn't scale the way that the old IT MSP world worked, where, you know, you were just doing ticket comes in, fix it, move it on, ticket comes in, fix it, move it on. Now there's far more nuance and there's far, there's far more risk involved and conversations to be had. And it's, it's very difficult. And I've seen some of the big players that have turned their IT service desks into socks uh, fail to understand that uh, and that's generally to the detriment of their customers because you, when you actually do quality control on the, the tickets that are going through you you find them lacking uh, and the problem is at some point you're going to get away with it because let's face it if 90% of your tickets or even 95% of your tickets are benign true positives it's fine that person logged in at 2am it triggered a whole bunch of alarms, but it was that person. There's no, there's no issue here. Socks traditionally get loads of them, uh, and so most of them, ninety five percent of your tickets are benign, true positive. The problem is, and so if you get one of them wrong, you don't do a particularly good job investigating it. The odds are you get ninety five percent chance that nothing bad happens, but that five percent that's left over, you mess up one of those tickets. At that point. That customer is breached, has a problem, should have had instant response. And I know plenty of large and small MSSPs that have fallen into this and then realized generally through another member of staff picking up another ticket a few days later saying, hang on a second. And when you look at when you do the instant investigation, you realize this should have been picked up days ago. The the scope and the 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 the, the, the amount of problems this caused could have been dramatically less. And ultimately, yeah, an analyst messed up. Uh, and that's not normally the analyst's fault. It's the way the analysts are trained. It's the targets that they've got. It's the it's the model that they're 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 working to. 
creates this behavior of the must get through the ticket, must get through the ticket. I've I've been the MSSB and I've been the, the customer. And when somebody turns around and says, yeah, I'm looking at mean time to resolution, I'm like, I have absolutely no interest. I want to know what it is, but I have absolutely no interest in chasing that number. Because a cybersecurity ticket is about investigating, taking as long as it takes to investigate it and get an understanding. If you start putting a time limit on that, you've got somebody that sits and says, I'm only allowed to look at this ticket for five minutes and then I need to make a decision. I'd rather they spent 50 minutes on that ticket and got the right answer rather than spending five minutes and making a magic box go green on a dashboard. Uh, and yeah, it's the, in a cybersecurity environment, it's how quickly you can get somebody looking at an issue. It's not how quickly they decide what it is. Yes, you want all those things. You can measure them to see if you can fix processes and help. But if you start chasing your analysts to, to run after the wrong number, you will get the wrong outcomes and it goes horribly, horribly wrong. And the risk is all on the customer because in the end, all the liability is sitting with that end customer. And so you're sitting going, yeah, it's them that could lose their business. Uh, most, once you get to a certain size of MSSP, you're going to be able to survive getting one wrong every now and again. Um, but if you're looking at small and medium-sized customers and even large customers, the bill that comes up the back of these, when people talk about you know the average cost of a breach and it's in the millions and people go, how can it possibly be given the fact that you've got business email compromise happening 100,000 times a day in this country and things like that? And you're like, they can't all cost 2.5 million on average. You're like, no, but the really big ones and the ones that end up getting averaged out, yeah, they do cost a lot of money. So you are talking, and, and it doesn't take anywhere near that amount of money to put a small business out of business. Hmm. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point as well about a sort of IT help desk coming socks. Um, I saw a really, really interesting trend about 10 or 15 years ago when I used to be a web developer um, for my sins. So I was a developer, I wasn't a designer. And what you tended to find was there was a lot of design companies that ended up doing what they called web development. Now, back then, pretty much Wild West, uh, people would slap together a WordPress site or a CMS if they're choosing and throw it up. Um, and they would call that development and build the client uh, appropriately for the time. The problem came when something broke. Uh, the designer didn't know how to fix it. They weren't a coder. Uh, so they would just you know, completely nuke the site, start again. Uh, whenever a security breach happens, you know, maybe uh, WordPress sites get attacked all the time. Whenever, you know, something wasn't updated, a plugin wasn't updated or the core wasn't updated in two years or whatever it may be, the designer would panic and not know what to do. The customer felt failed. Now, I'm not comparing that to MSPs who have become MSSPs, but a lot of designers became pseudo-developers but didn't realize what they were in for. And some of them became really, really good ones. They understood the landscape. They understood what was out there. The problem is they were looking at it from such a vastly different context. They were looking at it from a design headspace, a design landscape going, okay, I know all my risks. They didn't come at it from the developer's you know, kind of landscape and then a security landscape, which are two separate things, which good developers, well, I wasn't one of them, good developers should be considering uh, the development landscape and the security scope, you know, does does this do what it should do? Can I tweak it? Yes. Is it secure? Yes. Cool. Deploy to client. They don't care about the design. I see the MSP space moving towards the MSSP and the booming 
MSSPs from MSPs um, to be very, very oddly similar. And that's why you get a lot of um, businesses that will focus on time to resolution. This ticket, this, you know, if it's a priority one ticket, must be must be resolved within 15 minutes because we need to show the customer we can resolve this. I fully agree with Dave. No. Um, I want the analyst to be grabbing that ticket immediately, having a look at it and going, this could be a bad thing. So I'll spin up, I won't spin up instant response, but I'll give instant response a heads up that something bad might be coming their way. I'll look at it. I'll let the client know this could be a bad one. We're looking at it. Don't worry, we have your bank. That to me, uh, having been on both sides of the MSSP and the customer fence, if someone were to reach out to me and go, hi, we've seen this thing, we think it might be bad, we've got it, we'll let you know, I would feel so much, I, I, it would be a big hug. It would be like, right, okay, you've got my back, you know what you're doing, you've got this on, on board, rather than an analyst. And again, I agree with Dave, no fault of the analyst. An analyst looking at a checkbox exercise of, have I checked the IP address? Have I checked the email address? Have I checked this? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, it's probably fine. I would much prefer a, a few a cry wolves effectively going, this could be a bad thing. We'll let you know. Rather than total silence. And then, yes, yeah, that thing that we looked at two weeks ago, we made a wrong call. Wrong calls can happen. Don't get me wrong. That's fine. I have no problems with analysts making uh, bad calls or wrong calls, but when it's consistent and it's continual because uh, an analyst or a, a company is just purely following a, a checkbox exercise, that's where, for me, the customer is being failed and it gives us as security professionals quite a bad name of, oh yeah, you just charge the world and you don't deliver anything. Um, it's very similar to when it was web dev. You know, you just charge the world and don't deliver anything. Same when it was an IT help desk operator or server admin. Like, oh, well, we pay you a lot of money and I mean, the server never goes down because you're paying me to keep it maintained. Like, so it's it, it's all about trust. It comes back to trust. Can we do a good job? I and yeah, okay, we're gonna have playbook playbooks and all that kind of stuff. But I see no problem in trying to nudge other MSSPs along and going, hey, see, you probably shouldn't be just following the playbook. Give your analyst gut instinct control. Let them look at something and go, I don't know what this is, but it doesn't feel right. That would change the MSSP landscape, and that's what we're hoping to achieve. Love it. Gut instinct uh, control. Um, I, I, wonder, I wonder how many people will uh, embrace that idea. I think, I think it really does feel uh, you know, like the way forward. But I, I love what you're talking about, the, the, the designer come developer experience and... Uh, I, I used to make a joke that uh, some people who came from the MSP world are completely different than the MSSP world uh, because they might as well have been running an ice cream store. Now, I stopped making that joke because in a San Diego event, someone piped up and said, hey, I just sold six ice cream stores and bought this MSP. Do, do you think that that's the fundamental problem with the divide? Because you have come at this from a technical perspective you, you you've come at it with a love of of the service and understanding and yet the the other part of the channel world the msp world and even the var world many of those people are just well maybe not now maybe not now but maybe some time ago they just thought it would be a a good money spinner everyone seems to be in it, it, it is that the divide and that's why you're getting the ticket 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 approach so yeah you do get the uh 
So MSPs saw security taken off. Everybody suddenly started worrying about the bad guys. Uh, and, you know, the news started showing breaches and, th and things like that. And so you ended up having that, hey, look, there's, there's some grass over there and it looks mighty, mighty green. And I like green, so let's go get some of that green. And so, yeah, it's um, when you're trying to grow a business, you're always like, yeah, I can provide the service, but what do I do next? How do I increase my customers' loyalty to me so that they spend more money with me? And it is that pure that pure business play of the the more services you you can provide, and it, it's similar to uh, even as an MSSP, you find that most MSSPs will provide consultancy, provide engineering, provide monitoring, and provide pen testing. And the reason for that is that you don't want your customers to have to go and talk to a different security services provider because there's something that you don't provide because they might start stealing more of your customers. So you end up with this, right? Okay, let's let's try and do everything because we don't want to. We don't want our customers poached by another company because they needed a pen test, so they went somewhere else. So now I need to do pen testing. But there is there's a big difference between cybersecurity sales, cybersecurity business, and people that want to do cybersecurity. And you have to realize that, and. People will get offended. Like um, sales is uh, often referred to as like a bit of a dirty word, if you, especially if you're a techie, and that's the same in the MSP world as well. You have people that are talking to your customers every single day, fixing technical problems. So why as a business would I not turn around and go, there's a touch point, and every touch point is potential sale. So all my techies should be trying to push my other products every time you talk to a customer. But if you do that to a techie, they hate it. 90% of techies just do not want to be interested in sales. Now, if you can convince them and say, look, this is how we keep the business going. This is how we can do a better job for the customer, et cetera. You can move some of them. And generally, those are the ones that will end up being your senior techies or senior security people because they'll kind of understand that the world works and how business works and how relationships work. But if you try and push these like massive sales agendas on, uh, then you end up with this like really horrible like you know, like that. I'm told that if I do a service delivery meeting, I'm supposed to make sure that you know uh, I'm upselling. You know, no, how about tell the customer about the new stuff that you're doing because you're excited about it and go look if if this ticks the box for you, let's have a chat. But we're just telling you about things. But it's not the hey, can I sign you up for this? Can I do this? We're definitely going to send you emails. We'll definitely include you in these meetings. And you're like, it sales is can be quite sleazy. The used car salesman, you know, there's a reason that stereotype exists. And I know plenty of salespeople and I know plenty of salespeople that are really good salespeople, but I don't necessarily want to shake their hands because I feel that used car sales, uh, feel you're sitting on, have I still got my watch? Uh, and it is, and that is a business and every business needs it. Uh, and at some point, DGS will grow to the point where, you know, we're going to have like salespeople and we're going to try and like figure out exactly how we do all that. And not every MSSP does go down that 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 sales route, uh, that security company. We love them. Like we're really good friends with them. They've got a great sales strategy because they hate to the traditional salespeople. But it's that, yeah, it's that, how do you run a business? How do you run, how do you get sales? How do you get the business to keep coming in? And how do you keep the love and of actually doing the protection and helping the customers?
And if you can get people that believe in all three or bring people up so they understand all three, then you've got a well-rounded individual that will probably end up going off and creating their own company or being very senior in different companies because they understand those three different things. But you can see in LinkedIn and X and all these things, you will see like diehard techies that are so against, but you're sitting going, you need the, the business framework has to be there because otherwise you're not going to keep the lights on over your head. And yeah, you can do the, let's do an odd job here, let's do an odd job here, let's do an odd job there. That's not going to get you a mortgage and it's not going to be the way that you can advance a career or you know necessarily get somewhere. So it becomes that balancing all of them so that one doesn't overrule any of the other ones. It's a weird triad. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I quite often do a lot of cybersecurity talks, uh, especially about to people at the beginning of their careers and you try and explain it's that, look, the, these are things that you actually need to be aware of. And the more you're aware of them, the better your relationships will be internally and externally to the company and the the better your career will, will be. But yeah, the whole sales piece but yeah is that the how do i just do a straight sales thing i just want to sell tin great go go do that and then you have the how do i run a business how do i make my prices good so the sales people have an easy job but i can afford to pay all my super expensive and amazing techies so it's it's a it's a fine balancing act and you tend to see companies will kind of veer between them they start off really techy generally and then they're sale like they're trying to build the business so they go heavy into the sales and the business bit and the techie but end up suffering so it's a balancing act to make sure that you you don't kill your techie people that your sales people have got the 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 the, the resources they need to be able to do their job so that you can bring more company into the business so that you can get the techie people and keep feeding them. And it's a cycle. And if you get any bit of it wrong, that's when businesses don't grow. And uh, that becomes the right, okay. And at some point when you stop growing for so long, you get classed as your business is failing, which I don't necessarily agree with, but it really depends what the end goal of your business actually is. Especially if you're, if you're looking for the cash out and, you know, or learn rounds of investment, et cetera, you need to be chasing certain numbers because that's what those investors are looking for. Uh, whereas uh, if you're happy with what you're doing and your lot in life, then you don't have to have a massive growth, but you do have to realize that you're going to over time lose customers. So you need to be bringing new ones in at least semi-regularly. Yeah, that's that's real talk, I suppose. And I, I really appreciate the way you lay out, again, a spectrum. I used the word before, a spectrum of uh, colleagues from the slimy to the techie. Um, and, 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 and I suppose maybe that's another takeaway. If, if you are starting your new firm and you're evangelically technical without thinking how to keep the lights on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that that would, that would last very long. So I'm not sure people would really do it. Um, otherwise, actually, if they did do it, then you become an army of one and you become a super consultant or a super technician, don't you? Yeah, and that that works. And generally, you've got relationships because, like the the best consultants, you know, make a, a reputation for the name. They they build good relationships when they they go into a company, do a job, and you tend to find that they flock and they'll move around and and become groups of super consultants and program managers and things like that. And you see them moving around doing doing all these di these different roles, and it becomes that level of trust because they know these people and they can do X, Y, and Z. So that does work. 
but it's not it's not a business. It's not something that I mean, we want to be able to scale to the point where we can help lots of small businesses. Uh, and that super consultant would really struggle because a super consultant needs to. If you're an army of one, that means every gig you're doing, you're you have to make sure you're bringing in three or four months worth of wages each month, potentially because you might have a dry spell. You might end up sitting there going, right, okay, there are no projects. Uh, uh, Christmas, New Year, uh, you know, periods over the summer. There are dry spells in in every contracting world, uh, and you end up with a right. Okay, I'm suddenly without work for two months, and so you're always going to have to put that. You have to keep an eye on the, you know, what you owe the tax man and all these things. So, yeah, it's scaling and getting the finances right. Nobody really wants to have to worry about that, uh, except your pure business people that just sit there and say, "You're right. I, I don't really care what they do." They can make plastic pantries. They can sell ice cream. They can do whatever they want. I'm interested in the how much money comes in, how much money goes out, and can I make it leaner to to then turn a profit? That's great. You need those people because uh, otherwise the entire business ecosystem starts to to fall to pieces. But similarly, if you're sitting as a techie and you want to go and do something, you have to understand that you're going to be dealing with all these things. You need to go get some good advice and have some people in your corner that can help you out just to make sure that you survive. It doesn't matter how good a techie you are, if you don't have customers to pay you to do the stuff, then you're sitting, essentially you're sitting doing nothing. Well, fantastic. Um, tell you what then, let's think moving forward, uh, Scott and then Dave, uh, where are we going to see you, what you're doing, where, where, where will we next uh, find you? I so probably for me you probably find me on social media usually um no we've got a couple of uh, uh, community gigs lined up I just as a side note one of the most important parts for me about running DGS or starting it was it was born out of the community so I've seen too many too many companies that have spun out um, people didn't understand the community. We don't know who they are. They've just popped up and it's like, oh, buy all this cool stuff. Buy the silver bullet. As I said the other day, silver bullets belong in vampires or werewolves. Like They, they don't belong in cybersecurity. Um, and it, it kind of bothered me because it was like, well, if it was a friend of mine's business that launched, I would absolutely go for it. Which means that I'm always very, very passionate about giving back to the community. Dave literally said that at the start, giving back to the community, not for a sales tactic. It's just we love what we do. So we are still doing a load of B-sides talk. I've got um a couple of a couple of uh, talks that I've been sitting on for a while that are, it's time now to to talk about them. Um, so they'll be uh, it's being submitted to various CFPs. I think SteelCon is one of my favorite conferences, so I'm definitely going to be submitting there. Um, but we are doing as well as a company, but also as individuals, a couple of free sessions during Cyber Scotland Week, which is at the end of February, um, to basically try and explain semi-difficult topics to small businesses in a really, really easy to understand way. Uh, they, these will be physical sessions in person, but also uh, the ability for people to zoom in virtually so they can hear our advice, ask us questions. Uh, Dave's doing one on, uh, I'll let Dave explain his one. Uh, mine's more about, uh, look, you got an email from someone like me saying your ports are open or your email address is invalid or you've got DKIM problems or whatever it may be. 
and you sit there and you go, I don't know whether this is a threat. I don't know what this person's talking about. This is terrifying. Here's like a cheat sheet list of you got an email from someone like me. Don't panic. It's all good. Let's have a look. Here's some basic things you can do. And here's how you interact with people like us. Because one of the things that I've found doing responsible disclosures for years is businesses don't understand how to interact with us. It's the modern equivalent of uh, me saying to my neighbor, you left your keys in the front door. Your neighbor, you don't expect your neighbor to turn around and threaten you or shout at you or uh, you know, just leave the keys in the front door and completely ignore you. It's that kind of thing. Understanding how to communicate with the hacker researcher community. This comes back to what Dave was saying about you know business-focused people versus super, super techies. Um, trying to understand the, the hacker researchers. We're, let's be honest, very arrogant. We always think we're right. We're the smartest person in the room, whatever it may be. Um, and sometimes those people are, and that's fine. But we need to get to a point where they can actually interact well with a business that doesn't have a clue about cybersecurity. It's completely new to them. All they hear about it on the news is just hackers have taken over X company or breached this thing. So they're either going to panic or batten down the hatches. It's trying to mesh those two worlds together um, for free um, so that businesses can actually benefit out of having a basically a translation course. That's it. So you'll see me around. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, as you see, my workshop at Cyber Scotland Week uh, is basically about incident response. It's about risk and understanding what you actually need as a small business and taking some of the lessons from really big businesses and saying, do you need 24-7 monitoring? Do you know what this is? Do you understand this? And a whole bunch of incident response war stories and things like that to turn in and say, look, this isn't about scaring you. It's about taking these things you may have seen on the news or things that I've done in the past and dealt with and explaining what it actually means in, well, I think it's like, the, you know, plain English. It's a, taking that and turning and saying, look, are these things that you need to worry about? Yes, no. No, like, uh, right, okay, show a hand who's a company of this size, right? Okay, these are the things you need to worry about. These things you don't need to worry about. If you have a customer that demands X, Y, or Z, this is the way that you can achieve some of those certification requirements without needing a 500 grand a year SOC because, you know, your your customer suddenly demands X, Y, or Z. So uh, it's about taking some of those actual news stories and incident responses and explaining what happened, why it happened. Uh, and so that in the end, you know, they can come out and go, actually, if, if if they all went out and went back to their offices and said, we need to turn MFA on if, on, on anything that we possibly can, I'll class it as, that's, that's a couple of hours well spent. Uh, but it should be the right, okay, these are the sorts of things we need to worry about. Do we actually understand what a bad day looks like? Because that's one of my favorite things to do is to ask a company or organization or whatever, do you know what a bad day looks like? If a cybersecurity event happens and, for example, I take away all your computers today, what happens to your business? How do you keep function? Can you keep function? How long can you keep function? Can bits of the business, is it even safe for your employees to come into the office anymore? Uh, and to actually just sit and say, this is, this, is, this is what our business is about. Our business is about understanding what that bad day looks like and similarly to the fire brigade, we 
we'll come and put your fire out, but we'll also recommend that you know exactly how that you've got fire alarms fitted and that you know what happens when they go off. This is all cybersecurity is. It's just another type of risk. You get a professional to come in and do your plumbing. You get a professional to come in and do your fire alarm fitting. You're just looking for a trustworthy cybersecurity professional to come in and say, yeah, you need to worry about X, Y, and Z. You do not put a £5 million sprinkler system in your garden shed because you're worried it might go on fire. What you do is you get an appropriate one and say, you know what, let's just go and buy a 30 quid fire extinguisher and bolt it onto the wall. Great. There you go. If I have a problem in my shed while I'm doing manly, manly things, I can then play with a manly, manly fire extinguisher. I have an appropriate level of response planned and I know what to do. That's basically what that workshop's about. I'll be talking at a variety of places. I think I'm going down to Lancaster week after next to go and talk to, to students and to be on some random podcast. Uh, and yeah, it's just about like community events. So trying to plan bits and pieces. So people will find me at like DTXs and other things like that because that's where we do a lot of our networking. So uh, we'll be doing that. So yeah, they're generally not a round table or panel that one of us won't end up appearing on because we just do that sort of thing. So yeah, but that's where we are. Fantastic. Yeah, and and, and I'm definitely going to see you at some of the more community-led uh, events or maybe one of the 2600 events or something like that. Yep. Right. Well, this is exciting. This is the future of MSSPs. As you are building your MSSP, I think, you know, honor to be here in the ground level, quote unquote, whilst, whilst it's all happening. Uh, I was in the room when it happened. I don't know. Um, but uh, but Dave and Scott, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, this has been another fantastic edition of the MSS Network podcast. For more MSS content, please visit MSSnetwork.com.